Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California public health officials have ended the state's regional stay-at-home order today. That includes the San Joaquin Valley, Bay Area, and Southern California. Intensive care unit capacity for those regions has stood above 15% for four weeks. That means reopenings will go back to the state's color-coded tiered system, which is based on coronavirus case numbers and positive test results. Many counties should be able to reopen restaurants for outdoor service, and barbershops and hair and nail salons will be able to reopen for limited indoor service. It's not known yet if the change will immediately ease stay-at-home rules in areas hardest hit by the pandemic, like Los Angeles County, where coronavirus cases and deaths have soared in recent weeks. And COVID-19 has spread like wildfire inside a jail north of Sacramento that also holds immigrant detainees. Now about half of all the people locked up there have tested positive for the virus. KQED's Farida Jovala Romero spoke with one of them, a 20-year-old asylum seeker. Last year, Juan José Eraso Herrera went on hunger strike for weeks in an effort to get Yuba County jail officials to do more to prevent a COVID-19 outbreak. But on January 7th, Eraso Herrera tested positive for the virus. He was coughing up blood and having difficulty breathing. Guards isolated him in a small cell with no windows. When he first got there, he felt like crying. He says the toilet was disgusting. The walls were moldy. The bed was covered in dust, trash, and other people's hair. A federal judge in San Francisco has ordered U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to take steps to protect detainees at the facility, including testing them at least weekly for COVID and ensuring staff cleans and disinfects cells before people are moved there. But that cleaning part? isn't happening, says Kelly Wells. She's Eraso Herrera's attorney with the San Francisco Public Defender's Immigration Unit. And we've heard consistently from every single detainee who has been moved since the order that they have arrived to filthy cells um, that clearly hadn't even been cleaned, much less disinfected. Eraso Herrera says he was kept in that cell alone, 22 hours per day, for 12 days. ICE's own policy says medical quarantine must be different from punitive segregation. But Eraso Herrera says he felt he was being punished in solitary confinement. He was so depressed, he says, he thought about killing himself. An ICE spokesman says he can't comment because of pending litigation involving the Yuba facility. 
Attorney Wells says immigrants have given up and agreed to be deported after just one month at the Yuba jail. But Eraso Herrera has endured three years there because he's afraid of returning to El Salvador. In addition to the abuse that he suffered by his mother, he was also repeatedly beaten by gang members um, and threatened with death. Eraso Herrera fled to the U.S. when he was 16. But then he was involved in a robbery that he served time for. When he turned 18, ICE detained him. Now, he says he regrets that mistake from four years ago. He wants an opportunity to show he's learned and changed. I'm not the same kid I was then, he says. When he gets out, he hopes to go to school and eventually start a nonprofit to help other kids like him. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. The speed of California's vaccine rollout remains one of the slowest in the nation. Can it be done faster? Some volunteer tech workers with ties to Silicon Valley certainly think so. KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg explains. A few weeks ago, Tim Schwartz was watching the nightly news. New guidelines will be issued today that will expand vaccine eligibility to Schwartz everyone. Schwartz suddenly qualified for a shot. He's a 67-year-old resident of San Francisco but he had no idea how to get one. Nobody's calling me, emailing me, telling I'm eligible for anything. He checked his doctor's office, but they weren't vaccinating people his age. So he went down to his local pharmacist and asked if they were offering shots. And he said no. Uh, he had heard from corporate, Walgreens corporate office, that they might in the future get it. Schwartz started scouring the internet, but to no avail. Even California's public health website didn't provide any links to drive-up sites, walk-up appointments, or even a help desk. Oh, it's frustrating that in one of the most tech-savvy cities, in the most tech-savvy country in the world, that this kind of information is not available to the residents. The state promises a user-friendly solution soon. But Patrick McKenzie isn't waiting around. He's a tech worker based in Tokyo with ties to California. He was floored that vaccines were sitting on shelves rather than saving lives. So I tweeted out on Twitter and said, one of the best things that I could imagine a technologist spending time on right now is calling the places that could have the vaccine and putting who says yes in a single place. The call to arms roused many of McKenzie's followers, which is 100,000 people. A group of really smart folks started designing a dashboard immediately. A few hours later, McKenzie checked in on his friends. This is all fantastic. You know, just one thing, though, when you're, when you're doing the call center management, I, I have some suggestions. And then one thing led to another. They launched a website the next morning. Less than a week later, 250 volunteers were calling hundreds of doctors and pharmacists across the state every day. One afternoon, they found 60 new places offering shots just in Los Angeles. Their dashboard, called Vaccinate CA, offers up-to-date information about where supplies exist, who qualifies, and how to make an appointment. Similar efforts are underway in Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania. Throughout the pandemic, private citizens have crowdsourced everything from COVID case tallies to behavior risk calculators. If you go to those sites, you get much more accurate data in a more timely way than even the federal government's delivering, at least today. Dr. Georges Benjamin is the executive director of the American Public Health Association. I think this citizen engagement is here to stay. But he says crowdsourcing can't solve everything. And without regulation, of course, no one's checking to see if information stays accurate or up to date. 
One big problem, people without access to technology will be left out. Benjamin says everyone needs better information. So that means communicating with trusted messengers. That means flyers. That means radio, TV. That means social media. He hopes the new Biden administration leads communication efforts from the federal level rather than rely on underfunded local health departments. In the meantime, volunteers like tech worker Patrick McKenzie will keep staying up all night until the government offers something better. I have never worked on anything that feels as important as what we have done in the last week. And I hope that we are able to do it much faster over the next week. He wants to connect as many people to as many vaccines as fast as he can. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg in San Francisco. California's Department of Justice has launched a sweeping civil rights investigation into the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. KPCC's Robert Garoba has more. Attorney General Javier Becerra said the inquiry comes after credible reports of excessive force, retaliation, and other misconduct at the Sheriff's Department. He said the investigation will look into whether the department has engaged in a pattern or practice of unconstitutional policing. It's aimed at identifying and addressing potential systemic violations of the rights of the people of L.A. County. The inquiry is also a response to what the Department of Justice sees as a lack of sustained oversight of the Sheriff's Department. Civilian Oversight Commissioner Priscilla O. Chen says it's extremely difficult trying to keep tabs on Sheriff Alex Villanueva. We have a sheriff who has decided that he is above those efforts. In a written statement, Villanueva welcomed the inquiry, saying the department may, quote, finally have an impartial, objective assessment of its operations. The sheriff has come under fire from critics for a variety of issues, including his approach to deputy discipline and excessive force, secret deputy cliques, and transparency and accountability. For the California Report, I'm Robert Garova in Los Angeles. A new law that bans the sale of flavored tobacco products in California has been halted long-term after state officials confirmed a referendum to roll back the law has qualified for the 2022 ballot. More than a million signatures to get the referendum on the ballot were submitted by the innocuous-sounding the California Coalition for Fairness. But that coalition is bankrolled by tobacco giants R.J. Reynolds and Philip Morris USA, which have contributed more than $20 million to defeat the flavored tobacco ban. Critics of the referendum say it's an example of big tobacco trying to create the next generation of tobacco users by marketing candy-flavored products. It's also another example of corporate interests trying to roll back California laws by qualifying measures for the ballot. And finally, a new report by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association says that since 2016, there's been a 24% decline in the West Coast's gray whale population, bringing the marine mammal's total number to about 20,500. NOAA calls the decline a UME, or an unusual mortality event. A similar drop occurred in the late 1990s before the whale's numbers bounced back. Federal scientists don't have an explanation for the current decline in the gray whale population, but say the whale's numbers could be larger than what the marine environment can currently support. The gray whale was removed from the federal endangered species list in 1994. And that's the California Report for Monday, January 25th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks so much for listening and have a great Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, offering professional-grade financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary. PersonalCapital.com Eric and Wendy Schmidt 
whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at SchmidtFutures.com and Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968, licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at WaterHeatersOnly.com. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!